0: What is it we're supposed to be thankful for? Does anyone really expect us to give thanks for the fact that soon after the Pilgrim Fathers regained their strength, they set out to dispossess and exterminate the very Indians who had fed them that first winter?
1: You're listening to Reparations in Action, here on Black Power 96.3.
2: Uhuru, my name is Brendan McCoy, and I am the host today for White Lies Shattered, a series of the podcast Reparations in Action, produced by the African People's Solidarity Committee, the organization of white people working under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, led by Chairman Amalia Chatella, and organizing for reparations to African people. Reparations in Action is honored to be broadcast on Black Power 96.3 FM, whose studios are in the Uhuru House in St. Petersburg, Florida. Black Power 96 Radio works not just to explain the world, but to change it. You can get the app for Black Power 96 on Google Play or the Apple App Store and listen wherever you are located. Reparations in Action stands in solidarity with the right of all oppressed and colonized people to gain their independence and exercise self-determination including the Palestinian people and African and indigenous people inside the borders of the U.S. and around the world. We believe reparations to African people is one of the most important questions of our times and is one that demands action on the part of European or white people. We salute Chairman Omalia Chatela and the African People's Socialist Party for leading the African Revolution and developing the theory of African internationalism. The Theory and Worldview of the African Working Class that Guides the African Revolution and which we credit for all of the understandings and analysis provided on this podcast. This week, we look at the truth about the colonial holiday of Thanksgiving as a celebration of stolen land of the indigenous people built on the stolen labor of kidnapped African people colonialism inside the US is the model for the colonial Israeli state and the oppression of the Palestinian people. With me today is Penny Hess, chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee, and Jesse Neville, the chair of the Ahuru Solidarity Movement. Uhuru, comrades uhuru, Penny and Jesse,
0: so glad you could
2: join me. So uh, okay, uh, Chairwoman Penny, would you would you like to start us off here?
0: yeah, Zahuru, and welcome to everybody who's listening to this podcast. And you know, I want to join you, brendan, in saluting Chairman Ama Shatewa, who has fought for the liberation of Africa and African people everywhere uh, for more than sixty years who has who has fought to realize the liberation of African people and oppressed and colonized peoples around the world. And I also want to unite with you that reparations is one of the most significant and critical issues of our times, because it really gets to the core of how this system and this country is built through the stolen labor and and stolen land of African and indigenous people. And reparations is simply return of what is owed, what, what is due. It is not a favor or anything else like that. And today we're going to be talking about this U.S. celebration of genocide and colonialism that's called Thanksgiving and sort of the beginning of these holidays, these colonial holidays in which you're supposed to eat massive amounts of food and spend massive amounts of money on, on different kinds of gifts and that kind of thing. Um, you know, to to just while sitting on, on the bodies of indigenous and African people. And I do want to to give an update on the powerful anti-colonial struggle being waged by and intensified by the Palestinian people who have fought for their liberation since 1947 and who have been in this current struggle since, in particular, since October 7th. Right of this year just this uprising of powerful resistance but we do know that that the conditions just like african people here um, that that they face is brutal murder suffering you know just every kind of every kind of indignity of of the colonial existence every single day every yeah. day so and currently as we record this program today on november 31st 2023, at least 15,000 Palestinian people have been murdered by the colonial state of Israel since October 7th, um, including at least 6,500 children with at least 7,000 more people missing or unaccounted for. So the numbers are far greater than than what are being put out. And I I was reading that at least 100,000 buildings just in northern Gaza, have been destroyed and millions of Palestinian people are being bombed and most have no housing no access to food clean water or sanitation of any kind and the people are on the verge of of just facing massive outbreaks of infectious disease that would ultimately kill more than than the bombs and yeah. you know this is why the whole question of genocide has to be raised in terms of the conditions of of the Palestinian people. African people inside the US and Africa and around the world have always shown deep unity with the Palestinian people and vice versa. There is a a famous photo of a wall in occupied Palestine where the face of George Floyd has been painted and it's really moving and, and beautiful to see and and just a symbol of this deep unity that's very long standing of African and indigenous people. That's something that Malcolm X talked about. In fact, Malcolm X visited Gaza right before he was murdered. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But currently the question of Palestine, the resistance, this is the burning question on the front lines of the anti-colonial struggle of the world today due to the fierce resistance of Palestinian people that we see. And three years ago, the entire world <clears throat> had its eyes on African people here in the US based on the powerful African resistance to the brutal colonial police murder of George Floyd. Today, the Palestinian people are on the front lines of colonialism for African people and Palestinian people, the, the, the Colonial oppression, the reality of colonialism, the brutality and violence of it goes on every single day.
2: Uhuru, and, and I believe you prepared a clip to kind of provide some more context on it. Uh, this is uh, Nancy Mansoor, uh, co-founder of the organization Existence is Resistance and executive director of Eyewitness Palestine. And this is this is her speaking at the Black People's March in the White House this, this year on uh, November 4th. I have
3: a long to say, I could talk about my personal experience. Every Palestinian has a story. But I made a few bullet points so I don't go off. I want to just say on October 7th, our Palestinian brothers and sisters broke out of a prison called Gaza that they have put them in for 20 years under siege. <clears throat> every month you only hear about every few years when they kill thousands of people so we've been doing this for years we have been marching for years my parents my family my father was born in 1939 when it was Palestine this is this three or four weeks ago. This started over 75 years ago. Yeah. When the Jewish militias came in and people say to me, how was is Israel created? You're watching how they created that satanic state right now. They're doing exactly what they did to our people in the 30s and 40s right now in 2023. Our babies are being slaughtered and they're out here talking about they're defending themselves. What part of murdering can self-defense I also want to uplift my brothers and sisters in the West Bank Palestine is not just Gaza and Gaza is not not part of Palestine the whole country from the
0: Powerful statement and I unite that the US-backed colonial state of Israel is actively carrying out genocide against the Palestinian people.
3: Uh-huh. Jesse,
0: why don't you tell us what is genocide under international law?
4: Definitely. Uh, first of all, I really appreciate being able to participate in this important discussion on reparations in action. Thank you to Brendan and to Chairwoman Penny. And as you stated, What the Palestinian people are facing right now is blatant genocide as defined by international law, as are the conditions faced presently and historically by African people under colonial domination. And right now, this question of genocide against the Palestinian people is being brought before uh, international and federal courts. Uh, The government of Algeria is calling for the International Criminal Court to prosecute the prime minister of Israel the butcher Netanyahu and the uh, Colombian president has stated that Colombia will co-sponsor Algeria's case three Palestinian rights organizations have filed a lawsuit with the international criminal court ir- urging the body to investigate Israel for apartheid as well as genocide and to issue arrest warrants for the leaders of the Zionist entity and Palestinian human rights organizations together with Palestinians in Gaza and the U.S. have also filed a lawsuit in a U.S. federal court against President U.S. President Biden, Secretary of State Blinken, and Secretary of Defense Austin for the U.S. officials' failure to prevent and for their complicity in the U.S.-backed, illegitimate colonial settler state of Israel's unfolding genocide against the Palestinian people in Gaza. And... Uh, you know, we, we know from the history and, and teachings of Chairman Amalia Chatella that this definition of genocide in the United Nations Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide was something that was created by Raphael Lemkin in 19, late, uh, late 1940s, I think 1946, and then it was, it was uh, officially ratified in 1948. Um, and it was a, a definition that did not include the genocide that was happening against African people, against the indigenous people, against the majority of the peoples around the world. But in fact, when you read the legal definition of genocide Mm -hmm. under international law, it perfectly describes every aspect of life faced by African people in this country and around the world and by the Palestinian people for the last 75 plus years. Article two of the convention defines genocide as quote, any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group, such as a killing members of the group, B causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. C deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part D imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. E, Forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. This is from the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, Article 2. Article 3 defines the crimes that can be punished under this convention: A, genocide, B, conspiracy to commit genocide, C, direct and public incitement to commit genocide, D, attempt to commit genocide, and E, complicity. In
0: genocide, yeah, so, and I mean, if we look at the um, Article Two, you know these these different uh, components of genocide, killing members of the group. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you know, certainly just just the police violence alone, yeah, which is you know that African people bear the brunt of that inside the U.S. as is very well known causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, which is something that oppression causes both bodily and mental harm. And just looking at the uh, longevity gap between white people and African people, um, the illness, you know, the the fact that even COVID Mm -hmm. was something that attacked or, or was experienced by by African people far to a far greater extent than by white people, um, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. There's so much that could be said on that, including the uh, you know, just right here in St. Louis, the, the conscious programs that that were um that were about keeping any of the kinds of resources that the city puts into white communities, but right. keeping them from African communities and taking resources from from African communities, gentrification. I mean there's just so much there's so many examples of that, including from um the government dropping and testing chemical chemical yeah. weapons in The African community here in St. Louis, something that, you know, we would like to have a show about in the future, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. And number one on that is the massive uh, imprisonment of African men and women, separating them so that they cannot be births and forcibly transferring children of the group to another group, which is this thing called foster care that is um, something that generally steals children from from african families and puts them in white families and which is clearly a violation of of this international law and something that is you know that that white families make a lot of money doing and and in many many cases of of just Terrible, horrible uh, abuse of African children in this setting, and and then just to you know look down that the crime can be punished under the convention. The actual genocide, conspiracy to commit genocide, direct and public incitement of genocide, attempt to commit genocide, complicity in genocide, and it's something that uh, we were in a program with the historian um, and activist Ward Churchill. Recently, who's written a lot? He has a, a an incredible book called "A Little Matter of Genocide," but just making the point: that genocide is not just just the uh, brutal mass murder, but it is these other factors as well are genocide. They are there to um, to carry out the um, the ability to crush a whole people to be able to continue to create, to produce and reproduce life for themselves. So right. you know, that's pretty um pretty profound what what this government does and how you can take and certainly all of this can, you know, we could go through and, and apply the conditions of the Palestinian people as well. I just want to make one other point that that genocide is a function of colonialism. It is when the people are powerless, when people do not have the state power or the ability to protect themselves from an oppressor that would harm them or would exploit them. And this is what colonialism does. It it goes in, takes over an entire people and keeps them oppressed and so that every aspect of their life and even their deaths and their culture goes to the benefit of the colonizers, which is the white population.
2: Ahuru. And, and before we, we get any further into this and really start kind of connecting this to this disgusting colonial holiday and what you're really celebrating when you celebrate what's known as Thanksgiving. Uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, just just briefly a little bit about uh, Malcolm X visiting uh visiting Gaza. And can you talk a little more about that, Chairwoman Penny?
0: Well Malcolm X actually visited Gaza very shortly before he was assassinated. And he um and it was it was really Powerful. He wrote an article that was published in, in, I believe it was called the Egyptian Gazette, and it was called Zionist Logic, and it, it could have been written today, really, it was pretty yeah. amazing. I don't know, Jesse, would you want to read that?
4: Sure, yes. This is written by Malcolm X for the Egyptian Gazette, Zionist Logic. So Malcolm X writes, quote, these Israeli Zionists religiously believe their Jewish God has chosen them to replace the outdated European colonialism. With a new form of colonialism so well disguised that it will enable them to deceive the African masses into submitting willingly to their divine authority and guidance without the African masses being aware that they are still colonized. The Israeli Zionists are convinced they have successfully camouflaged their new uh, kind of colonialism. Their colonialism appears to be more benevolent, more philanthropic, A system with which they rule simply by getting their potential victims to accept their friendly offers of economic aid and other tempting gifts that they dangle in front of the newly independent African nations, whose economies are experiencing great difficulties. During the 19th century, when the masses here in Africa were largely illiterate, it was easy for European imperialists to rule them with force and fear. But in this present era of enlightenment, the African masses are awakening and it is impossible to hold them in check now with the antiquated methods of the 19th century. The imperialists, therefore, have been compelled to devise new methods. Since they can no longer force or frighten the masses into submission, they must devise modern methods that will enable them to maneuver the African masses
0: into willing submission, end quote. And that's just an excerpt. Yeah. 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 Very, very powerful. Mm-hmm statement.
2: Yeah, really an an incredible statement by by Malcolm X right there and mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> So, yeah, so just to say that that was a powerful statement and I think that we're here talking to in particular to other white people about how we relate to this and it is really important that we don't walk over the bodies of colonized African indigenous people right here in the U.S. to get to Palestine.
4: Right, exactly. Which is
0: something that we tend to do, you yep. know, that we find something, um, an example of colonial oppression, 5,000, 10,000 miles from where we are. Right. And here are African people being killed or starved to death or, you know, just amassed into prison um, day after day after day. And we say nothing. We, We walk right by it. We don't see it. And that, again, that African indigenous and Palestinian people have a deep historical unity based on the same colonial conditions. And again, just understanding this, that the question of genocide, genocide happens as a function of colonialism when a whole people are occupied at gunpoint and have no power to protect themselves and no resources to, um, to, to protect their own people, to protect their own culture and their own civilization. So yeah, we see that African people colonize inside this country and Palestinian people again, have a long and powerful history of unity. The best way that we can support the people of occupied Palestine inside the U.S. is to join in solidarity with the African liberation movement right here. And I think that that's, that's really important to see. And to see that, you know, this statement that we just saw by Malcolm X, first of all, that was very shortly before he was assassinated. Yeah. yeah. Um, the fact it was part of what he talked about um, internationalizing the struggle of African people, you know, inside the borders of the U.S. And, and around the world so that it became known basically as an anti-colonial struggle is, is basically what, what he was saying. And that was something that was, that everyone in the world was concerned about and aware of. And this is certainly something that the African People's Socialist Party and Chairman O'Malley Shetella have taken up the mantle mm-hmm. for the last more than 50 years in the um, work of the African People's Socialist Party is internationalizing this struggle. Yeah, right. and that's why the African People's Socialist Party is under attack by the state right, right. now. Exactly.
2: Absolutely. I think the, the point
4: that you just made, Chairman Penny, that the best thing that we can do as white people to support the people of occupied Palestine is to join in solidarity with the African liberation movement. That is such an essential point for any white person to understand who is out there, who's experiencing moral outrage and revulsion at what we're seeing the state of Israel doing to the Palestinian people that we don't walk over the Palestine on which we occupy the Palestine, the stolen occupied land land, where we are as colonial settlers, that is built on the the enslavement of African people. And like Chairman Amali Shetela has said that, contained in the particular contradiction exploding right now in the Gaza Strip is the universal contradiction of colonialism.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. And
4: resting at the heart of that, at the center of that, the foundation of that is the oppression and of, of African people, the oppression and colonial domination of African people. So. Therefore, the only way out, the only way to true peace, on the, there can't be peace unless colonialism is gone, unless colonialism is overturned. There won't be peace for anybody on the planet Earth, including for the Palestinians, unless colonialism is destroyed. And that is only going to happen under the leadership of the African Revolution, on whose backs the entire colonial mode of production rests. And that's why uh, Chairman Amalie Shatela has famously stated that the road to socialism is painted black. Absolutely. You know, the leadership of the African working class, the true workers of the world, carries on its shoulders the emancipation of all of the colonized and oppressed peoples of the world who are engaged in a united struggle to free themselves from colonial oppression and domination. And yes. And
0: we're gonna see it we have a clip here of Malcolm X speaking on African, and he mentions the Arab people. That's right. the The oppression of the Arab people. Among that, and it's a it's a powerful, well known statement. I believe it it could have it was a discussion or a press conference of Malcolm X in the early 1960s. Uh
5: Ahura, we'll go ahead and play that clip. The difference now uh, in the direction that the uh, struggle is taking from that from the direction that the struggle has been going in in the past, there are many uh, of our people who are thinking more deeply and more broadly. And are beginning to see the importance of lifting it uh, out of the national context or out of the domestic context or beyond the jurisdiction of the United States government. And the only way this can be done is by internationalizing the problem and, and putting it uh, at a level where it can be taken into the United Nations. And then all of the other independent nations on this earth can involve themselves in our struggle and support us. And, uh, The only way by uh, which this can be done, instead of it being called civil rights in the future, we're going to have to label it a human rights struggle or the struggle for human rights. And as such, we can then take it into the United Nations uh, through the avenues that have been set up by the United Nations uh, Commission on Human Rights. Uh, We can take our problem before the United Nations in the same uh, manner that the problem of South Africa, Angola, Mozambique, Hungary, the Arab refugee problem, it, it becomes a world problem. And as a world problem, then the uh, uh, Afro-American, or the so-called Negroes, have more of a chance of getting some real meaningful results, because uh, it's not left up to the one who's responsible for it anymore, but it's, 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 it's uh, put at a level where the whole world can see that our plight is wrong. And they can bring the moral support of the entire world on our side against this force that has stood in our path in the, in the uh, past.
0: I, I just also, yeah, I, I appreciate what you were saying, Jesse, about this. And, and also that, you know, that it was Malcolm X who brought the question of, of African unity with the Palestinian people to the forefront. To the forefront and actually wrote letters Mm -hmm. to many different African liberation organizations of the time, calling on them to, to take this, this struggle, uh, publicly. And, you know, who brought this, who, who brought this even, you know, forcing it upon the white left of the time. And it was, it's, you know, it's very powerful and very, very, very important that we, that we understand this and it, it's not something, you know, the, the struggles and resistance of, of Palestinians and oppressed people around the world is, is not just, you know, sort of, Oh, what is the trend of today? What is the latest fashionable struggle? This, these are, these are conditions that go on every single day. And the thing that calls on, on white people to be forced to to see it is when the resistance is very, very heightened. But the resistance has many forms, mm-hmm. including the work of the African People's Socialist Party, which is there, which has been working every single day for more than, than 50 years, 52 years, to, uh, to, to fight for the liberation of Africa and African people and to put out these conditions. And to build all of the powerful relationships with any other oppressed and colonized people on the planet Earth um, in unity with them and as one, as one, as one struggle. And they also enable white people to to play a role by being organized under the leadership of the African revolution with the mandate to go back into the white community and organize other white people and win reparations and return the stolen resources. I really believe that there are a lot of people, a lot of Jewish people today who are looking for the way to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people and to to be able to take a principled anti-colonial stand um, in solidarity and self determination with the Palestinian people and with African people in the struggle inside the U.S. So, just want to, you know, know that you've been putting out some very, very powerful stance and and actually we would like to have a whole show on this very Definitely. soon. Yeah, but yeah, just want just would like for you to address that.
4: Definitely, I appreciate that. Uh, I I agree with you that it's it's been really important to see many many thousands of other jewish people like myself who have been coming out in this recent period since october 7th to take a public stand in solidarity with the palestinian people and in some cases even you know occupying capital buildings and and taking a stand to say a slogan that was actually popularized by the african people's solidarity committee decades ago which is no more genocide in our name and i think this is really important because as Chairman Omali Shatella has been saying to Jewish people for many years, it is not only in our, uh, not only our responsibility, but in our deepest interests as human beings to, to separate ourselves from our own ruling class, from our own bourgeoisie, who would attempt to use what happened to Jewish people in uh, Nazi Germany, in, you know, in Europe during the the so-called Nazi Holocaust, what happened to European Jews at the hands of other Europeans to use that, to use that history of suffering to justify perpetrating massive suffering and genocide and slaughter and torture and brutality against the Palestinian people in the name of Jews by a government calling itself the Jewish state and flying a Jewish flag and presuming to speak in the interests of Jews everywhere. And You may have seen that recently the U.S. Congress actually passed a resolution which had the support of every single person in the U.S. House of Representatives from both parties, except for two. One of them being uh, Rashida Tlaib, who is the only Palestinian in the U.S. House. And one of the things, so this was a a resolution condemning what they refer to as anti-Semitism. And it equates any opposition to the state of Israel with anti-Semitism, so that's something that, that Jewish people have to speak up loudly about and denounce this, this absolutely uh, this preposterous and, and offensive notion that they can, they can claim to speak for all Jews and, and mm-hmm. use this, this myth, this weapon of so-called anti-Semitism as a weapon to attempt to silence and attack Africans and Palestinian people when they criticize imperialism and colonialism and and when they wage their struggle for national liberation. And uh, I guess the last thing I would say is that, you know, we've seen how um, historically it was Zionism was a means by which European Jews, as the chairman teaches us, uh, entered into uh, the colonial mode of production and sought to advance our interests within the colonial mode of production. Now many Jews are becoming anti-Zionists which is great. They're saying openly, we are anti-Zionist. So what, what we want to make happen at our goal as the Hebrew Solidarity Movement is that just as Zionism was an entry point into colonialism for Jews historically, anti-Zionism has to be an entry point into becoming an anti-colonialist. We have to be against colonialism. Zionism is an ideology created to justify colonialism. So we have to be against colonialism, which means we have to stand with the Palestinians And we have to stand with African people inside this country, the indigenous people, and all oppressed and colonized peoples around the world. And on December 27th, the African People's Solidarity Committee will be hosting an event, which I'm really excited about. This event will be a launch of a new working group of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement called Jews Against Colonialism, which will set out to organize those thousands of Jews who have come out in this period to join in a principled relationship of solidarity with African and Palestinian liberation under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party.
2: Uh-oh.
0: Very exciting, very exciting. And I just think that the, you know, when when we look at what you have just laid out, you know, this, this whole complicity, this unity of many Jews mm-hmm. of Israel, but obviously there are those who don't want to take that stand, with mm-hmm. just the complicit, because the state couldn't carry out yeah. this violence without the complicity and unity of the majority of the Israeli population. Just like inside the United States, the U.S. could not carry out the genocide against the indigenous people without not only the unity, but the absolute participation and enthusiasm from white people. And yeah, so I just think that, I think that that is, is, so, is so important because when we look at Palestine, it is carrying out what white people did when they came here mm-hmm. and began the process of throughout this hemisphere Murdering, slaughtering at least three hundred million indigenous people. Yeah. That doesn't just happen, right? That just, that doesn't just happen. That happens with step by step, mile by mile, going throughout throughout all of the stolen land and and murdering, and slaughtering and starving and bringing about all the conditions of genocide. Um, against the people who have lived here for tens of thousands of years. And what it took to do that is, you know, it's just very, very unthinkable. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's unspeakable. Right. It's unspeakable to think about what that meant. And then so that last week, the the celebration called Thanksgiving, that white Americans are supposed to, you know, eat furiously and watch football games is <laughs> is in that and you know it's just a it's just an ability to cover that over so that we don't have to think about you know that oh we're thankful for we're thankful for genocide right? and Warren Churchill who wrote the book on the indigenous people called A Little Matter of um, of genocide wrote some comments a a couple of years ago, but it's still available. So Warren Churchill wrote this essay that's actually on on a website called Unsettling America, Decolonization in Theory and Practice. And he's saying um, that Thanksgiving is the day the United States celebrates the fact that the pilgrims of Plymouth Colony successfully avoided starvation during the winter of 1620 to 21. But from an American Indian perspective, what is it we're supposed to be thankful for? Does anyone really expect us to give thanks for the fact that soon after the Pilgrim Fathers regained their strength, they set out to dispossess and exterminate the very Indians who had fed them that first winter? Are we we to express our gratitude for the colonists' 1637 massacre of the Pequots in Mystic, Connecticut, or their ret- rhetoric justifying the butchery by comparing Indians to rats and mice and swarms of lice? Or should we be joyous about the endless series of similar slaughters that followed at St. Francis, 1759, Horseshoe Bend, 1814, Bad Acts? 1833, Blue Water, 1854, Sand Creek, 1864, Marias River, 1870, Camp Robison, 1878, and Wounded Knee, 1890. To name only the worst, should we be thankful for the scout bounties paid every day, paid by every English colony, as well as U.S. state and territory in the lower 48? For, for proof of the deaths of individual Indians, including women and children, how might we best show our appreciation of the order issued by Lord Geoffrey Amherst in 1736 requiring smallpox infested items be given as gifts to the Ottawa's so that we might, quote, extirpate this execrable race. So this goes on. This is a this is a powerful um, essay that he has has given, but just to just to show some of the reality of this brutal um, genocide that white people were fully complicit in in carrying out um, against against indigenous people and in so many ways against the African people as well right. and the people on the planet Earth. And I know that you're going to be talking about the, the this whole Sand Creek that yeah. was mentioned uh, yes. in there.
2: This this past week, uh, Native News Online, uh, and this is we're recording this the the week after the Colonial Holiday of Thanksgiving. So just a few days after, uh, Native News Online ran an article uh, about the brutal Sand Creek massacre. So Wednesday, November 29th uh, is the anniversary of the Sand Creek Massacre, where approximately 230 Cheyenne and Arapaho were killed at the hands of 675 U.S. soldiers, known as the Colorado Territory Militia. Among the dead on November 29th, 1864, were at least 105 women, children, and elders. The soldiers were commanded by Colonel John M. Chivington to attack a village of about 750 Cheyenne and Arapaho along the Sand Creek River in Colorado. The Sand Creek Massacre had a terrible impact on the Cheyenne and Arapaho's traditional knowledge, language, ceremonies, and many other cultural traditions. Thirteen Cheyenne chiefs were killed, along with four Cheyenne society headmen and one Arapaho chief. These individuals were these tribes' connection to their culture and their way of life. Without these individuals, there were fewer people left to pass down traditions, language, and songs. It was another dark chapter in American history. This tragedy and others like Wounded Knee and the Bear River Massacre are often left out of the recollection and teaching of United States history. And and definitely not brought up when, you know, most American families are celebrating Thanksgiving. No. So, ruin. Say,
4: I have uh, some more information about this particular massacre and this this really important, brutal history of this country and the colonial genocide. This is from the book uh, written by Chairwoman Penny Hess, uh, Overturning the Culture of Violence. On page 114, there is a description of uh, the sheer carnage of the infamous massacre at Sand Creek, Colorado, <clears throat> and a quote from a soldier who participated in the slaughter that day. He wrote, In going over the battleground the next day, I did not see a body of man, woman, or child, but was scalped. And in many instances, their bodies were mutilated in the most horrible manner. Men, women, and children's privates cut out. I heard one man say that he had cut the fingers off an Indian to get the rings on the hand. I heard of one instance of a child a few months old being thrown in the feed box of a wagon and after being carried some distance left on the ground to perish. I also heard of numerous instances in which men had cut out the private parts of females and stretched them over the saddle bows and wore them over their hats while riding in the ranks. And another observer of this massacre wrote, all manner of depredations were inflicted on their persons. They were scalped, their brains knocked out, The men used their knives, ripped open women, clubbed little children, knocked them in the head with their guns, beat their brains out, mutilated their bodies in every sense of the word, worse mutilated than any I ever saw before. Children, two or three months old, all lying there from sucking infants up to warriors. And on uh, page 302 of the same book, there is a really important passage that highlights what Chairwoman Penny was talking about earlier in terms of the complicity and participation of the settler uh, white population, the general colonizer population in this genocide, says, in American Holocaust, David Stannard tells us that following the malicious and genocidal U.S. massacre of indigenous men, women, children, and babies at Sand Creek, Colorado, in 1864, led by Colonel John Shivington, quote, there was exultation in the land, Cheyenne scalps are getting as thick here now as toads in Egypt, joked to the Rocky Mountain News. Everybody has got one and is anxious to get another to send east. A concerned senator, however, traveled from Washington to Colorado to confront Colorado's governor and the colonel openly on the matter. The senator invited the general public to a town hall meeting at the Denver Opera House to discuss the Sand Creek slaughter. Stannard tells us, quote, during the course of the discussion and debate, someone raised the question, would it be best henceforward to try to, quote, civilize the Indians or simply to exterminate them? Whereupon the senator wrote in a letter to a friend, there suddenly arose such a shout as is never heard unless upon some battlefield, a shout almost loud enough to raise the roof of the opera house, exterminate them exterminate them. This anecdote, and this is Chairwoman Penny writing here, this anecdote is perhaps a good indicator of the popularity of genocide throughout American history. It informs us of the initiative taken by the general white populace in the annihilation of the indigenous people. Such enthusiasm for genocide is not just to be found in the dusty annals of our past, however. It continues on in the conditions inflicted upon African people today. Conditions voted in by the majority of white people. After all, counterinsurgency is genocide carried out by the institutions of the state, the police, the prisons, the education and welfare systems.
0: That is chilling and that is... What we have to look at, we have to look at this true history. Yes. It didn't happen in spite of us; it happened with us, yes. and it still continues to do it today. And the conditions of indigenous people today are the most impoverished inside the United States. Um, this is, uh, you know, they definitely the most impoverished sector of all peoples um, colonized inside the borders of the United States and oppressed and you know, there's still not the return of their land. There is still not the ability of Indigenous people to have control over their lives. They are colonized as are African people inside the U.S. And that we can be part of a future under the leadership of African people struggling to overturn this system. White people are not going to lead that struggle. The The colonized, those who sit in who rest or are part of the, the, the foundation of this whole system must lead the struggle against it. And this is why we have to be under the leadership of the African liberation movement. And I just want to end today's broadcast with a beautiful and inspiring quote from Chairman O'Malley Shatala, who once said, quote, we are building imperialism, And I would add colonialism and this thing called colonial, the colonial mode of production. Uh, Everything that we have comes from uh, at the expense of African and, and oppressed people. So the chairman said imperialism destroys everything, destroys lives, freedom, the environment. There's nothing that imperialism has not destroyed. We, meaning African people, are not the destroyers. We are the builders. That's what our job is in the world. We are trying to take care of all those problems left on the world by imperialism and free the world of that blight so that we can all live a decent life.
2: And I I want to thank you both for coming on and and being a part of this and using this program to to amplify the truth. And uh, most importantly, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, Until next time, Reparations Now.
1: This has been an episode of Reparations in Action, a biased podcast of white solidarity with black power. My name is Jamie Simpson. We'd like to thank our team of volunteers. Our sound engineer is Aaron Loss, who also composes our theme music. Our research coordinator is Alex Pletcher. Reparations in Action is produced by Penny Hess, Jesse Neville, and Lisa Watson out of the Black Power 96 studio in St. Petersburg, Florida. A shout out to Burning Spear Media Director Akile Anayi and the station that is not just explaining the world, but changing it, WBPU LP St. Petersburg, also known as Black Power 96, and the station manager, Mr. Eddie Maltzby. If you like what you've heard today, you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, or if you'd like to join our volunteer team, please email us at ria at blackpower96.org. That's ria at blackpower96.org. Special thanks to Chairman Omalia Shatella and the African People's Socialist Party, without whose relentless leadership and theory of African internationalism, none of the understandings presented on reparations in action would be possible.